Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Casual Tryhard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And we're like recording this like with video. This is like the second time I've seen you in the last like three weeks. Yeah, we had uh, a couple difficulties last night and decided to use our time to kind of figure some of this out. And that was the first time I've seen you in like a month. Yeah. Despite living a mile down the road. Yeah. So we're trying to recreate the video magic that we usually have with Juan in the back of Myrtle Beach Games for our card evaluations of the new set. Yep. But instead of being in the back of Myrtle Beach Games, we are in our own respective lofts. Yes, so we're we're both hiding from the misses <laughs> and recording yep. uh, in our upstairs. <laughs> so we're gonna do our best. We are gonna. There's gonna be a little bit of a delay. So if there's some dead air, I'm sorry because uh, I'm just waiting on someone to talk. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'll be too bad. We're kind of used to recording at least audio this way, so yeah, it might look different for the people who are tuning in to watch our beautiful faces, but the people that are listening in, it should really have no differences so, so if you want to get at us on twitter and tell us uh, how we could have picked better cards or <laughs> tell us what cards we uh, you wanted us to talk about instead and get at us at casual tripod on twitter uh you can also get at us on facebook at casual tryhard mtg for the same reasons but i will yell at you and tell you that you should have piped up last week when i asked for these cards again keep building that community just yelling <laughs> at people this is great it's great uh, you can also email us at show at casualtryhardmtg.com. And I want to take a quick second to tell everybody to go out and support their LGS as much as possible. Um, I know I've been kind of driving the point home the last couple of weeks, but they cannot get through this without your support. Hopefully they get to open their doors up and, you know, have a blowout weekend. But uh, until then, they still have rent to pay and employees and bills and everything else. And they need to pay for all that inventory they got sitting on the shelf and all the new releases coming up. So if you can, support your local game store. If not, support ours. Uh, Myrtle Beach Games has pre-orders up for Ikoria right now. They've also been using this downtime to kind of catch up on their backlog of singles inventory. Um, they've been putting in new sets every day. Check out their website at myrtlebeach.games if you want to order anything from them. I have been told that they will ship orders if need be, so check them out. Yeah, and if you want to see us, go to the Myrtle Beach Games YouTube page, and that's where this video will be, and there'll be card images so that you can follow along if you haven't quite figured out all the new cards yet. You also get to check out my uh, glorious quarantine beard that hasn't been trimmed in forever. Yeah, yeah, I haven't shaved in a bit uh, <laughs> i started to get a little fuzzy and i got itchy and i was like i'm off this i don't know how people do this you gotta put some product in it man a little bit of beard oil goes a long way oh man yeah i don't i don't have time to get new products man <laughs> i think we mentioned last time that you have some extra time i do and so we're gonna try to maybe stream if not at least record some sealed stuff for the new set we usually do a sealed video from our Turtle Beach Games, yep. and we're going to try to do that, but do it on Arena so you can kind of get some sealed content and some yep. sealed ideas. Um, if it goes well, we are probably also going to do at least a draft or two and maybe some new standard stuff. So I've yeah. got a, it just so happens that my uh, slashed work schedule coincides with me having like the first couple of days that Acoria releases off. So should be good timing. 
I'm going to get stuff done, so I should be free like most of Thursday and uh, most of Friday. So yep. Perfect. We, can, we can do some stuff. Yep. So keep an eye out for that. We'll tweet it out or put it on Facebook if we decide to go live. And if we record stuff, we'll definitely put that out there as well. Yep. All right. So we're going to get into a Coria and the cards that we like. We want to take like two or three minutes and just go back over the mechanics real quick. We did a really deep dive last week. Yeah. About the mechanics, but we just want to go over them quickly now just to make sure everyone's on the same page before we start talking about uh, the cards. Yeah, they're also like pretty confusing mechanics, so don't feel bad if you don't get it right at first. I have a feeling as we go through these cards, I'm going to repeat this a couple times, but a lot of these mechanics I think are like you're going to have to play with the cards to really understand how good and what the nuances of them are. They don't read very well on paper. I think you're actually going to have to use the cards. Uh, Morrow had to put out a correction for his blog about Mutate because uh, he even got it wrong. Yeah, in his defense, he said that uh, Mutate works differently now than it did when they were playtesting when he was designing it. So he got it right for what Mutate used to be, but it is not currently the same as it was then. So it is really complicated. But So Mutate is an alternate casting cost for creatures mm-hmm. that allows you to cast it and put it either on top or underneath a creature that's on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And that pile of creatures gets all the abilities of all the creatures in the pile, but yep. only the power and toughness of whatever you decide to put on top. And only the name, color, and CMC of what's on top? And creature type. And creature type, okay. That's kind of weird. Say, it doesn't get the creature type from all of them. Yeah, I think if you, like, like logistically, it'd be hard to know all the creature types in, like, the stack. Oh, that's true. Since you're only seeing the top card. Yeah. And you can only mutate onto non-humans. And most creatures that have a mutate have something that says when this creature mutates, do a thing. Yeah, like a triggered ability. So it's when you cast it for its mutate cost or when you mutate onto that creature, you get this triggered ability. Right. So not if you just cast the creature as a creature. Exactly. Yep. So then there's companion. Mm Mm-hmm which uh, are legendary creatures that have a deck-building constraint. Mm-hmm. And if your deck meets this constraint, you can reveal it from your sideboard. At the and start it's of effectively, the game. At the start of the game, and it's effectively yep. in your hand. I mean, it's not actually in your hand, but you, you can cast it once from outside the game. Yes. Yep. So uh, there's a lot of these that have deck-building constraints that are kind of crazy that won't see a lot of play. And, and there's some that are very good. Yeah, that are very kind of pushed. Yeah. The next thing is ability counters. What does that do? So they work kind of like plus one, plus one, and minus one, minus one counters, except for instead of you know increasing or decreasing power of t- power or toughness, they give the creature a keyword. So a spell will give a flying counter, and then forever until that creature leaves the battlefield, it has flying counter, yes. which gives it flying. Or, you know, whatever whatever keyword it gives that tracks with that counter. Yeah, there are um, the, there are 10, and they are listed on the screen for you. Yep. Um, these are also going to, in the packs, there's going to be punch cards, a lot like we did with uh, Amonkhet Hour Devastation, where the packs will have a punch card in them, and you can punch out these little keyword tokens to, like, track on your creatures with. Yes. 
And then the uh, the last thing is a returning mechanic, a much beloved returning mechanic that I think a lot of people are excited about, and that's cycling. Cycling is a cost you can pay from hand. Um, it'll be it'll say cycling and then a cost. Some cards cycle for zero. Some cards cycle for you know whatever color mana. Um, and basically you pay that, you discard the card, and then you draw another card. There are also a couple things that have uh, like triggered abilities that trigger whenever you cycle a card or whenever you discard a card. That'll be, you know, act just like a normal triggered ability, but having to do with cycling. Yes. So now to the cards. Yeah, to the cards, the fun stuff. We went and looked at the cards, mostly standard applications, but I did sneak a few like modern or like eternal playable things Yeah, in there. But for the most part, these are for standard. Mm-hmm. And I haven't tried to say any of these cards before now. So as I'm looking at the first one and I'm like, Draineth Magistrate? Yep. Okay. Draineth Magistrate, you got it. This is uh, kind of a hate bear. It's uh, it one of the white yep. for a 1-3. Mm-hmm. And it says your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. Yep. And when I first saw it, I thought, hmm, this takes care of casting stuff from the graveyard. But it also takes care of casting things from exile. Like, So after you have your adventure creature going on this adventure, you can't yep. actually cast the creature side. Right. It also stops escape because it you're does. casting from the graveyard. And... I think uh, we'll get to it later on. I think one of the ultimatums, you have to cast the card mm-hmm. without pay- you exile it and you cast it. So this turns that off as well. Yep. It also, in eternal formats, it stops Cascade. Yeah. And like in Legacy, it stops Food Chain too, right? Or no. Yeah, it stops Food Chain because you can't cast the... Uh, the exiled cards. Mist Hollow or the Eternal Scourge. Yeah. Yeah. So it turns off Snapcaster Mage. So it does a lot of like mm-hmm. little things on like a white weenie-ish sized body like kind of like what that kind of deck wants to play as like a silver bullet or something yeah speaking of eternal formats this next card i looked at and thought hmm this is just modal enough that it might be good and that's light of hope yeah uh healing salve has come a long way huh it it has (laughs) to like kind of playable now yeah so we have gain four life which is one more life than healing salve yeah, it's like, I don't know that you necessarily want it like in a burn matchup, but it's one more life than Lightning Bolt takes away from you. Yeah, I guess I should say it's a one white for an instant with three modes. Yeah. First yeah. mode is gain four life. Uh, Next second mode, mode is destroy target enchantment. And then the last one is put a plus one, plus one encounter on target creature. That one's probably the least useful. Again, Unless you're paying, playing against a lightning bolt deck, like if you if you're running things that are susceptible to lightning bolt, like this saves your creature from lightning bolt. It does, and it's it's just that flexibility to have that option. If you're yeah. in the market for like a white, a one mana white destroy target enchantment, mm-hmm. this is just better than pretty much any of those that we've had. Yeah. So the yep. next one up is Mothra. This was the one Mothra. you put on here. Yeah. So luminous brood moth is a two white white for a three four flyer it says whenever whenever a creature you control without flying dies return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a flying counter on it Um, the reason this is kind of notable is if you have any effect that removes flying or prevents counters this card plus a sacrifice outlet is just infinite creatures 
infinite yeah. enters the battlefield. It's just kind of a recursion engine. So if you have like solemnity out, you can't put counters on things. So this will return whatever died to the battlefield. Uh, you will not put the counter on it. And then if it dies again, it will not have flying. So it will come back again and rinse and repeat until whatever you're trying to accomplish is accomplished. And the card is like borderline cheap enough to work in some of the older formats. I really haven't put a ton of research in it to see if there's anything else that's out there that like takes flying away from your creatures or not. That seems like kind of a red thing to do. I don't know if there's red cards out there that do that or not, but could be something to look out for. Yeah, it seems like it could be like pioneer playable. Yeah. Right, where the format's not super fast. Mm -hmm. And it could just be right on the edge of being able to solemnity or whatever, some other effect that says creatures can't have flying, and then you just yeah. go nuts. Well, I think there's cards that like give, like remove flying from creatures to lend a turn or whatever. Yeah. So, Mu yeah. Yang Lin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. If your creature had flying, you could Mu Yang, Mu Yang Lin it. There we go. <laughs> and uh, we can Mulan on it. Yeah. And, uh, and then we can get it back. Yep. Okay, now for the blue cards, this mm -hmm. is uh, another one that you like, which was Escape Protocol. Yeah, I don't know if it's actually going to see play or not, but some version of this card has been hyped like every time it's come around. And I really haven't seen too many people talking about this one, so I figured we'd talk about it real quick. This card is almost Astral Slide, which almost. was... Yeah, which was like a huge deck back in the day and a deck that a lot of people love to play. It's a really fun deck to play. Um, there's also a couple like EDH decks that are built around cycling and astral slide. So this effect is a lot of fun for a lot of people. This one you do have to pay. It's a triggered ability that you pay for the effect, which makes it a little bit worse than astral slide it, this card is escape protocol it's on the screen there uh yeah, one in a blue for an enchantment it says whenever you cycle a card you may pay one when you do exile target artifact or creature you control then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control so whenever you cycle something you can pay one mana and then blink something you control yeah. an artifact or creature i don't know if that's good enough for any format really but like i said astral slide was a much beloved deck and Powered Down Astral Slide is still, like, almost Astral Slide. Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to mention is, like, this kind of works strangely with Mutate, the keyword Mutate, where if you, you know, have a big mutated creature on the battlefield and cycle something, you know, pay for escape protocol, what ends up happening is if you blink that mutated creature when it re-enters the battlefield, all of those mutated creatures enter separately. So if you have... You know, if you've gone really tall with a creature, you know, you have like four mutated creatures all, all as one game object. And, you know, your opponent's swinging wide trying to kill you. If you cycle something, pay for this, you blink that mutated creature. When it comes back, you now have four blockers. Yeah, it so, like breaks them apart. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a unique interaction. Next up is a card that I had to like look up after you posted it. And that's Keep Safe. Yeah, I put it here just to make you look it up and think about it because I didn't like this is a card that I think went underneath a lot of people's radar. Yeah. You kind of have to look at it a certain like you have to squint your eyes a little bit and look at it in just a certain light to see what it actually is. And uh, yeah, it's keep safe. It's one in a blue for an instant, and it's counter target spell that targets a permanent you control, and then you draw a card. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of shelter. Mm hmm. 
which gave protection to a creature, protection from a color yep. to a creature, and then drew a card. So it's in that same vein. It's also kind of like bumping up against Dive Down. Mm-hmm. But there is a really big difference between one mana and two mana. Well, there's a big difference between replacing the card also. There is. There is. Yeah. But it is a card that could definitely see standard play. Mm-hmm. If people are, you know, trying to Voltron up a mutate thing. Mm-hmm. Or playing and... a card that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah. I thought it was a unique piece that kind of does something a little bit different than what we're used to. Like, this is almost hexproof. Like, it's almost dive down in the fact that it it kind of like quasi gives something hexproof. Like, it's only once, but yeah. it basically it counters the spell, which is like what you want to do with hexproof like 99% of the time anyway. Plus, it replaces itself. It's not any more vulnerable to like two instant speed removal spells than dive down was. Right. Where like you would, they would be like cast down and you'd be like dive down and they'd say cast down again. They still kind of like lose to that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't think it has an additional weakness unless it's like two sorcery speed pieces of removal or something where they're like cast down and you're like keep safe. And then they play some sorcery that yeah. dive down would have prevented. Yeah. But it is like, it is right there. It could, it could definitely see play. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, the draw card, I know you, you were hesitant because it's one mana more, but the draw card is a big thing too. It is. Like, I mean, it's important, like, especially in the kind of deck that this wants to be in, it's important that that replaces itself. Yeah. Like in this kind of deck, you're not really trying to get card quality. You're trying to get quantity. Like you just want to draw all the cards and like all of them are mediocre, but it doesn't matter because you've drawn all of them. Yes. You've just gone through your deck. Yeah. This next card I wanted to talk about for two reasons that really don't have anything to do with the card itself. Awesome. <laughs> this is a Mythos of Aluna. It's yes. a two blue blue for a sorcery. It's part of a cycle. There's a whole bunch of these Mythoses, like one for each of the legendary mutate creatures. I wanted to point out the super sick Seb cave painting art. Like the whole hey. cycle has these awesome like cave painting style. This one is a clone. It makes clones of things. It makes a talk. Uh, token that's a copy of you know whatever you're going to target with it and it also says if green red was spent to cast this spell instead take a or create a token that's a copy of the permanent except it has when this permanent enters the battlefield if it's a creature it fights up to one creature you don't control so it gains fight etb two blue blue clone uh, a creature or permanent a permanent yeah and then it's red green blue blue have it come into play and if it's a, a clone a creature clone something and if it's a creature it fights yep the reason that i wanted to point this card out also is because of the way that it works with mutate when you clone a mutated thing you're cloning the whole stack you get all the abilities that are mutated onto that creature yeah even if like that creature leaves the battlefield isn't around anymore like if you spent you know red green blue blue and cloned it and you know killed fought their thing and killed it your copy would still have all of the text from the whole mutate. Yeah. Which is kind of a little bit counterintuitive. So I just wanted to point that out. Really didn't have anything to do with this card in particular, but just the way clones work with mutate. Sometimes they have new mechanics and like, you can feel like they took the set and they were like, you know, maybe we won't do this thing because it's confusing. (laughs) And this set, they were just like, Oh no, we're doing all the confusing things. Yeah. So next up is C dash or octopus. Yeah, this card's sweet. Ninjatopus. Um, Ninjatopus. <laughs> uh, so it's one 
blue blue for mm-hmm. a flash two two. Yep. That has whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card, and it has mutate for one and a blue. So since it since the creature itself has flash, it can mutate at instant speed. I right. do believe I had that correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this creature is kind of ninja of the deep hours. Kind of. It's also kind of like curious obsession. It's weird. All yeah. the things it kind of is. I, I think it really will incentivize people to play like one mana, one, one flyers. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple really good ones in standard right now, like in blue and a couple in white. I mean, if you like end of your first turn, if you're on the play and you flash in um, Spectral Sailor. Right. And then the next turn you attack and then you flash in the octopus and put it on your Spectral Sailor. It's now a 2-2 and it drew you a card. It's basically mm-hmm. said it's, cur- it's putting a Curious Obsession on it. Right. You're a little bit more all in because you don't have that extra mana to protect it. Mm-hmm. But you did just like, draw you card. know, draw a card. It is pretty solid, like in like a tempo-y blue-white or blue-red deck where you're trying to just stick the octopus and then ride it to victory. Yeah, I mean, if you think back to like Mono Blue from, what was that, eight months ago at this point? This is kind of the same game plan as that deck. And this is where that keep safe that we were just talking about, I think like this is part of that same deck. Yeah. You know, you flesh out this octopus, draw a couple cards you know, play your keep safe to keep it safe. And then, uh, you know, draw your card off that. And you're just trying to get all of the cards in your hand. And yeah, they're all kind of mediocre, do whatever, but you don't care because you just get all the cards in your hand. And like if you're blue-white, you also have God's Willing. Yeah, yep. Another way to force it through. So you have like all these, have all these like ways to to protect your guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And C-Dash or Octopus, unlike Curious Obsession, is just not a dead draw late in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? it's, it's also, like, randomly a creature, so it, things like Dovin's Veto don't work against it. Yeah. And, like, this deck still gets to play Mystical Dispute. It has a lot going for it. Mm-hmm. Kind of so cool. Speaking of Flash creatures, which we were just talking about, that for the last, like, year and a half, Wizards has just been trying to push, like, a Flash deck... Yeah, and uh, they just give it an extra card every set. And this card is Voracious Great Shark is our current addition to the Flash deck. Boy, is it great! It is three <laughs> blue blue. Yeah, for a Flash five four, yep. which, like a five mana Flash five four is good. Like yeah, that's it's very a, good. That's yeah. a limited card you would always play. Right, but it also has uh, when it enters the battlefield. Counter target artifact or creature spell. Yeah. So it's always a two for one because like this thing is always going to be a relevant body. Yes. Yeah. It's not like sometimes when you'd like flash in a uh, frilled mystic, like the body wasn't super relevant. You know, you got to counter their spell, but the body really didn't matter a whole lot with a five, four, that body is always going to be relevant. Yeah. And it's also like you felt bad flashing in Frilled Mystic unless you were getting value. Right. This, like, if they pass the turn and don't use their mana, mm-hmm. you just flash in a 5 4. Yeah. And you're Completely like, okay, fine. here's a clock. It might not be like a full four of in like the blue green flash deck. Yeah, it's kind of expensive. Be like a two of, like, it's a mm-hmm. conditional counter spell. I think we said it was like Essence Scatter. 
and Anal yeah. is always one of those. Yep. And I know we talked about it. this really quickly before the show started, but on my way home from work today, so it's kind of a good thing that uh, we didn't record yesterday because I wouldn't have thought of this. But this card kind of reminds me of uh, Torrential Gear Hulk. You know, Torrential Gear Hulk had a little bit more versatility because it could pick like any card in your graveyard. But mm-hmm. like I said, this is almost always going to be a two for one, and it's always going to close a game super quick if left unchecked. And you're probably going to get some sort of value out of it. I mean, Torrential, Torrential Gear Hulk saw a ton of play. Uh, people were even, you know, sliding it in as like an extra Snapcaster Mage and Modern at the time. So I definitely like this card would certainly see some amount of Pioneer play, yeah, yeah. even if it's you know just a test out or whatever. But I think it's worth testing out there, and it will definitely see some some standard play. Yeah, it could be like a control finisher that just also has mm-hmm. extra value on it, like kind of yep. like uh, Gearhawk was. Yeah, I mean, you don't really care if it dies because you countered their spell, and like that's what you're trying to do anyway. And then yeah. if they don't randomly don't have an answer to it, you just kill them in four turns. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, this I countered your spell and then killed you with this. This is great. Yep. And so, I guess it's also really good with time wipe. You like mm-hmm. counter their spell, and then if you have to like wrath the board, you just pick up your counter spell. It's also really good with escape protocol, right? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah. Cycle counter. You're, you're never resolving another another creature or an artifact yeah. again. Never again. Yeah, that's kind of gross. Yeah, there we go. Ooh. So uh, next up is when I read it, I deemed this the uh, best removal, the best black removal spell on Pioneer that is not Fatal Push. Correct. One hundred percent true. And this is Heartless Act. It's one in the black for an instant, and it has two modes. Mm-hmm. Mode one is destroy target creature with no counters on it. Yep. The mode two is remove up to three counters from target creature. Yep. So in eternal formats or eternal-ish formats like Pioneer, the downside of creatures not having counters on them almost doesn't, non-existent doesn't come up a lot. Yeah. And so like, I think it's a better removal spell than like cast down or what was he? There was another two mana one with a downside. Was it Doomblade? Ultimate price. Ultimate price. Yeah. It was monocolored creature. But they all had like a downside that was like a huge glaring downside that would just yeah. like blow you up sometimes. Yeah. And this its the downside is more narrow. Yeah, a lot more narrow. And unless like these counter synergies occur or these counter ability counters come into Pioneer, this card just like just straight up one in the black kill something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like in the decks where, you know, creatures are going to have counters on them or whatever, even though it's not great, it's not going to be a dead card then because you can strip the counters off something. Yeah, like if they play like a walking ballista with three counters on it, you're just like, cool, remove the three counters off your ballista. You take three damage, but fine. This is also like randomly going to come up in standard, at least with the Sarkon decks, like uh, the fire, the planeswalker on Sarkon. Oh yeah, because you could remove the counters. You can off remove Sarkin. the loyal. Well, you can remove the loyalty counters off whatever creature, whatever yeah. planeswalker, because it's now a dragon. So you might potentially be able to kill a creature that's actually a planeswalker by pulling all the counter, pulling all the loyalty off of it. That is super interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and in standard, again with wizards uh, pumping all of the complexity into this set. Yeah, I'm also probably going to need this card as an altar. It, with the guy holding the sword altered into like Joe Exotic. 
<laughs> Since he's about to cut the head off a tiger. <laughs> Make it a speech bubble. Take this, Carol Baskin. Uh, <laughs> it's the Maras Carol Baskins. <laughs> there we go. All right. Next up is uh, one that you put on here, mm-hmm. and that's Hunted Nightmare. Yeah, I don't know if it's a great card or not, but it's costed very aggressively, and like the downside might not be a downside. So Hunted Nightmare is one black black for a 4-5 with Menace. So it's a big beat stick with evasion. And it says, when Hunted Nightmare enters a battlefield, target opponent puts a death touch counter on a creature they control. So because it has Menace, they have to have another creature in order for the death touch to matter. And if you're in black, you're already running a bunch of removal anyway. So the death touch counter might not ever matter. Yeah, because they they have to have two creatures to be able to block it. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily like going to spawn a new archetype or anything, but it's a solid role filler. Like if there's any kind of aggro slanted mid-range blacklist. Yeah, and if you're playing like black... Like you said, you definitely have, you're going to play a lot of removal. Like you could have a curve of turn two removal spell, mm-hmm. turn three, four, five menace. Yeah. And like in like, that's the curve you wanted anyway. Yeah. So it's not that much work. Also, I just realized, so you remember the like super fringy tier like G tech of there's some random Ravnica creature that when it comes into play, target opponent makes like two green things or something that have pro black. You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't remember. It was some undercosted black creature that was like target opponent does a, make something that can yeah. kill your creature. Okay. This is target opponent. So like if they like have a ley line out or some way they can't. Oh, be you targeted, can't target them. You just it turns off their hmm. their ability to do this. So like you know this could be like oh I'm gonna play ley line against. Your thought sees deck. Cool. Yeah. Hunted Nightmare, turn three, beats. Let's go. How does this interact with Veil of Summer? Like, if your opponent Veil of Summers, you oh, can't yeah. target them, right? Yeah. So, like, you go to Thought sees <laughs> them and they're like Veil, and you're like, cool. Hunted, Hunted Nightmare. Nightmare. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. That works as well. Very strange. We're yeah. going deep here. Yeah. It only took them a year to print the counter to Veil of Summer. Yeah. Good job. Good job, guys. Yeah. I think I'd rather have Veil of Summer. Yes. Next up is uh, another one of the Mythos cards with the sweet cave painting art. And this one is right up my alley. It's a Mythos of Nethroi. It's a two and a black for an instant. It says destroy target non-land permanent if it's a creature or if green-white was spent to cast this spell. So it's two and a black, destroy a creature. Yes. Or black, green, white, destroy a non-land permanent. This came up in our chats. The templating's weird, because you choose targets before you pay. Mm-hmm. So you can, especially like on Arena, be mindful of this, you can target a non-land permanent, or say a non-creature, but if you don't have green, white, black to pay, won't you die. won't do anything. Right. You'll just put your card in the graveyard. Right. So even like in Limited, this is, you know, if you're black-blue, it's destroy target creature for mm-hmm. three mana. Which is still fine. Yeah, which is still fine. You 100% play that card. But if you're you're Abzan, it's destroy anything. It's like Maelstrom Pulse, basically. Yeah, and that's what I had compared it to. 
Um, a lot of times when you cast Maelstrom Pulse, sure, once in a while you're going to get to tag two things with the same name, but the majority of the time when you cast Maelstrom Pulse, like you're casting it just to kill one thing. You brought it in because it's a universal answer to Planeswalkers, Artifacts, Enchantments, you know, whatever. Most of the time when you cast it, you're only looking to tag one thing. And this is just Maelstrom Pulse at that point. So yeah. like in powered down formats, like Pioneer Standard, this is like 99% of Maelstrom Pulse. Yeah, it is, you know, a little restrictive on the mana, but we also for a while have like paradise druid mm. so you can be green black and still have access to white through paradise druid yeah and there's also some other reasons why you might want to be abzan colors we're going to talk about them a little bit later and i have in our show notes here that if abzan is viable this is like the the best removal spell you can run. Yes. And I think that's what's going to determine if this card is good or not, is if Abzan is a viable deck choice. And we'll have to wait and see. They have kind of pushed yeah. all the three-color, I guess, wedges Yep. Uh, with, with some spells we'll get to here in a second. Yep. Uh, next up is one of my favorite cards. It's one of Juan's favorite cards, too. So it's Lead the Stampede. Is uh, For those of you who don't know, it's a reprint. It's two and a green for a sorcery. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal any number of creature cards among them and put the revealed cards into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. In the right deck, this is just draw four or five cards. Yeah, uh, when I saw it, I sent it to you because I was like, oh, elves. Yeah. This is 100% like the, the elf card Yeah. where you just get to reload because your deck is like, 16 lands, four lead the stampedes, and then 40 creatures. Right. And you're always going to hit at least three, if not four or five. Mm -hmm. This also works favorably with the gods because the gods are technically a creature when they're in your deck and in your hand, even though they might not be a creature when like they're on the battlefield. If a god is good enough to run for whatever the static effect is on the card, this will still find it. So yeah. like if you're like a Clothus or something, this will still find a Clothus. And in the Gruul decks, they really don't run many non-creature spells. They run yeah. a couple Planeswalkers and some fight spells. But, I mean, now you have some cards that, you know, ETB and fight things, so maybe you don't even need the fight spells anymore. Again, going back to all the adventure creatures, like yeah. that, That's like, true. the spell side of it is stapled to a creature, so lead the Stampede finds your... Bonecrusher Giant. Uh, yeah, Bonecrusher Giant, Brain Murderous Rider. Yep. So this also finds you removal spells in your interaction. Yep. It plays a lot better than it reads, so don't underestimate this card when you're brewing up your uh, your initial decks for, for, for the standard season. But you do definitely have the deck-building constraint of this needs to be... Creature-heavy. Yeah, you need to have 30-plus yeah. creatures in your deck before this starts to be really good and pay you off. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't cast divination. Actually, you probably would cast divination that looked at 5 and drew you 2 for 3 mana. Yeah. And that's probably fail like even if you're running like a not super creature heavy deck, like that's probably still fail case scenario for this. Like if you're somewhere in like the 25 creature range, you probably look at 5 take 2. Yeah, which like divination is questionable for constructed and well, this right, doesn't but, help you hit your land drops right but divination doesn't look at five cards either yeah but it's not like you get to select which two that you want 
Right. Like if it was, you know, three mana, look at five, pick any two, then 100% this would be played. But being three mana, only take creatures. In the deck that you're going to play it, though, that's all you want is creatures. Yeah, fair. You know, you're looking to refill your hand on, you know, turn five or whatever. You're looking to draw a creature and then play it. On turn five, you know, you've already played a bunch of stuff from your hand. You get to look at the top five cards and pick two creatures. Like, that's better than Divination. Next up is Migration Path, mm-hmm. which is... Three and a green for a sorcery. Search your library for up to two basic lands. Put them onto the battlefield tapped and shuffle your library. And it has cycling two. Yep. This, I do believe, is just the strictly better uh, explosive vegetation. It is. So putting cycling on a card like this is really good because on turn four, Mm -hmm. you want to use this card to get to six mana. But on turn seven or eight, you don't want any more lands. You want gas. Find your thing. And this gives you a chance to get gas. Yep. So it definitely gives you that flexibility. Yeah, that's kind of the problem with like the ramp style decks that would want this card is like there's a duality to them. There's the ramp half of the deck and the payoff half of the deck. And a lot of times the downfall of that deck is you either get all the ramp stuff or all the payoff stuff. Now, recently our ramp cards have also been payoff cards. So a lot of you guys that are listening might not understand this duality that I'm talking about because Nyssa is ramp and a payoff and Uro is ramp and a payoff. But when you're trying to cast just big stuff and not have, you know, ramp stapled to your big stuff, this card is like leaps and bounds. This is everything that you want to do. Yeah. So it is, it is great for making sure you don't flood out. Yeah. And making sure you do get to the land that you that you need to cast your giant thing. Yep. Next up is one that I put on here. Yep. I'm the one who put the like uh, niche eternal, maybe playable <laughs> sideboard cards. And that's Wilt. Yep. It's one in a green for an instant to destroy target artifact or enchantment. And it has cycling two. Mm-hmm. So I think when Throne of Eldritch came out, I was the one who was like, hey, Return to Nature is just better or i guess it was war of the spark this is just better naturalized mm-hmm. right this is also better naturalized but better in a different way correct right like there's no reason to ever sleeve up naturalize ever in in magic ever again well right? i mean unless unless that's all that's legal unless it's all that's fine yeah. but in like any anything that's not standard naturalize yeah. is now like never playable Right. Because now you have naturalized and, you know, you've brought it in in your eternal matchup in modern for if they have a blood moon and mm-hmm. you draw it and they don't have a blood moon and you're like, I need gas right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, two mana, get rid of it. Yep. Right. So you just have that flexibility of you don't ever is never dead. Yeah. It's just a card to keep an eye on. This is a card and same with uh, with Heartless Act mm-hmm. that like. Get a couple foils because they're a card that yeah. are, is going to see play in older formats more than likely. Yeah. And those foils, if they're cheap now, they won't be cheap in like two years. Heartless Act in particular, I believe, is going to be an FNM promo. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, I think I saw that. So maybe that one, Hold just on, grab off. the FNM promo or whatever. But um, that first card that we talked about was uh, Light of Hope. Yes. Is another one that you might want to grab a couple foil cop- copies of. Yeah, because it's it's a key play in yep. eternal formats. So, 
Yeah. This uh, this next one I threw in here because I really hadn't seen anybody anywhere talking about this card until exactly today. And I kind of wanted to walk through it with you and see what your thoughts were on it. I know it's not really a, I mean, it kind of is a Brian card, but it's way more graveyard on it. Yeah. So it's a fiend artisan. So it's hybrid Golgari, hybrid Golgari for a one, one creature nightmare. It says fiend artisan gets plus one, plus one for each creature card in your graveyard. So it's kind of Tarmogoyf, kind of Golgari grave troll. The Golgari Grave Troll is counters, right. so it never oh, so it doesn't change. Yeah, this is this is always looking at your graveyard to see how big it is. Right, which in you know a a dredge deck or or like the kind of the standard Golgari decks that mm. are just constantly flipping their graveyard their deck into their graveyard. Right, you could have a two mana seven seven mm-hmm. on turn four. Right, which is. Yeah, you know, very good. Yeah, really good. The other part of this card is what kind of makes it interesting. It's a X and a hybrid Golgari and tap it. Sacrifice another creature. Search your library for a creature card with convert a mana cost X or less. Put it onto the battlefield, shuffle your library, use this ability as a sorcery. Okay. I feel like there's a lot of shenanigans you can do. Yes. I also feel like it might be too slow for a lot for like standard could be it could be too slow i feel like in like commander or brawl where you might have more time this is just something that's going to like get your missing creature combo piece Mm -hmm. well whatever i I don't think you can think of this card in terms of what currently exists in standard i think you have to think of this card in terms of what is going to exist yeah. So if we're talking about, you know, some hypothetical Abzan list with Mythos of Nethroy and one of the cards we're going to talk about in a little while here and this, actually two of the cards we're going to talk about in a little while and this, I think that second ability is more useful when you can yeah. kind of make it toolboxy where you go, you go get a silver bullet, you go get your Draneth Magistrate or you go get, you know, whatever, whatever you need at the time. Yeah, uh, Night of Autumn. Yeah, sure. Night, yeah, four mana, go get a Knight of Autumn. Get your value off of it, sack it, turn it into something else. It, it's almost a, like a... It's pod. Almost, yeah. Yeah, they, they keep, like, making twists and, like, different, you know, moves on, like, birthing pod. And this is yeah. kind of the next one where it's probably the most fair of them because you have to kind of pay the mana for the thing you're going to go get. Right, but you also don't have to work up or down. Like, there's no yeah. chain that you have to worry about going through. You can yeah, jump just, anywhere anywhere you want. Yeah, you can take your one drop and turn it into a seven drop as long right. as you have eight mana. Right. So it I is think interesting. It's unique. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some cards that are currently legal that play well with it. There's a lot of good self-mill stuff right now in Standard. There's a lot of good self-mill stuff in Pioneer right now. Yeah. So... Like, Glowspore Shaman is kind of the natural thing you think of. It's like, okay, it's going to hit my land. It's going to put some cards in my graveyard. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple cards in this. There's one creature in this set that's just like, I think it's a vanilla 3-3, but when it comes into play, it, like, mills three cards over Mm -hmm. for, like, seemingly no reason in, like, the limited environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you also have, like, Mire Triton from Theros. Oh, yeah. That, that card's great. Like randomly mills too. I'd been playing Ashiok a little bit with like alongside Kroxa. Oh yeah. That's something you could do with this. Actually, these 
This guy kind of works well with the Titans, too. Oh, no, because you can only do it as a sorcery. Oh, yeah, you can't sack yeah, in response. You can't that'd sack be the Titan. Busted. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but also, like, you look at it, and, like, my head, I was like, oh, it's it's a black-green card. It's not. It's a black or black green card. card. Or yeah. a green card. So yeah. you can play it for black, black, or green, green. It's so also not... easier to cast, like, in your in your Abzan deck or your Sultai deck. It's easier to cast because it's not double black or double green. Exactly. You can go, like, Temple Garden into Godless Shrine. Right. And still be able to cast it on turn two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is interesting. Like, it's just, I think just being a big, dumb idiot sometimes will be good enough. Like, mm-hmm. the turns where it does its Tarmogoy from Prussian is, like, a 7-7. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, I paid two mana to have the biggest thing on the board. Right. And I did something else. It's just going to be like, oh, this is really great. Yeah. Okay. Next up is uh, one I put on here. Mm-hmm. It might breathe life into a modern archetype. It might spawn <laughs> a pioneer archetype. And that is General Kudro of Draineth. Yep. So it's one white black for mm-hmm. a 3 3. Mm-hmm. human soldier and other humans you control get plus one plus one i would like so to lord introduce you to the very first strictly human lord in magic is it really yep the other one that is like other humans get plus one plus one is a werewolf and flips over oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh mayor of Aberbrook. mayor of everbrook yep this is the first like i only buff humans hmm. in magic so racist. okay, <laughs> yeah, racist, <laughs> speciesist, or whatever. Um, so that's fine. Like just making humans, it helps humans on that beatdown plan. Yeah, I mean but, that's also like a reasonable cost for a three-three lord, three mana. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think of all the two-two merfolk lords. Yeah, that are like two-two for three. Yeah, whatever uh, it enters the battlefield or another human enters the battlefield. Under your control, exile target card from an opponent's graveyard. So okay. it's just randomly graveyard hate. Mm-hmm. And it has sac- uh, pay two, sacrifice two humans, destroy target creature with power four or greater. So you get to throw humans at monsters? Yeah, he can even throw himself as oh, a last yeah. resort. Yep. He does not strike me as someone who's going to, based on his artwork, throw himself <laughs> at anyone. Yeah, I don't think uh, so. But Quick, staple me to the ballista. <laughs> it's fine. Uh <laughs> Having a curve in modern of champion of the parish into Dahlia's lieutenant into this guy. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. And you're like attacking for seven on turn three. Yeah. Like that just seems good enough. Yeah. Where you just don't give them a clock. And oh, yeah, by the way, I get to eat your food for your snapcaster mage or I shrunk your Tarmogoyf mm-hmm. yeah. or whatever. You just have this extra value stapled onto it. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it might only get to be like a two or a three of because it's legendary. Right. And also, especially in like modern, the fact that it's white black, like if it takes some number of the Mantis Rider slots, it cleans up the mana some. Oh, yeah, it does. You where can you actually f- cast your spells if you want to. Yeah, where you're four color humans as opposed to five color, if yeah. that's the thing. And then in Pioneer, you have Thalia's lieutenant. Mm-hmm. You have you have big Thalia. You have big Thalia. Yeah. And you have this guy now. Yeah. So you have this like shell of a human tribal deck coming together mm-hmm. in Pioneer as well. Hmm. So this card is just 
it does enough that it could find a home in a couple different. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, that last ability is interesting too, because you can do it at instant speed in response to a removal spell. You can turn, you know, one of your other humans and whatever was going to die anyway into a removal spell for one of their creatures. Yeah. To push through damage or whatever, yeah. like, Oh, you played your big blocker. Cool. I'll kill it. Now I can attack around your other thing. Yeah. Um, one or other thing is blocks. that like a lot of random tokens are humans. Not all of them. Some of them are just knights. Some of them are just warriors or whatever, but a lot of them are like human soldier, human warrior. A lot of the tokens that are being made in standard now are humans. Yeah. So Elspeth makes humans. Right. Love Struck uh, Beast makes Love a human. human. And part of it is because Mutate doesn't want you to put stuff on humans. Right. But this also helps with this guy and like the human sub theme in this set. Mm -hmm. So just the thing to keep in mind yep. as well, that like if you have this into Elspeth, Elspeth's making two twos. Right. That seems you pretty pay good. Two mana and eat a big thing. Yeah. All right. So I know we don't hit the mythics too hard, but we are going to do like four mythics in a row. <laughs> uh, so we're two down, two more to go. So next up is Alunia Apex of Wishes mm -hmm. for two green, blue, red. Yep. And it says Flample, Flying and Trample, mm -hmm. and it's a 6-6. Six, six. So it's mm -hmm. a five mana, 6-6 six, six, Flying Trample. Yep. Seems decent. Mm -hmm. Whatever this creature mutates, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land permanent card. Put that card onto the battlefield or into your hand. And it Seems has pretty mutate good. for three blue-blue hybrid red-green. Okay. The mutate cost, you play it in like a blue-green deck, mm -hmm. or you could play it in a blue-red deck, mm -hmm. which is interesting that they did this for all of them, that one of the mana symbols is hybrid. So its mutate cost is a little bit more, but it like has super cascade. Does the mutate cost fall in line with the ultimatums like for this teamer one is the teamer ultimatum have triple blue in it it does yes okay so that might be why they did it that way they based they based each wedge off of a single color okay so like the teamer ultimatum is red red blue 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 green green yes and so this is you know ha has that double blue like has in line blue, with that or whatever and, yeah. okay but so for six mana you can just Mutate this, and you're going to basically cast something for free mm -hmm. or draw a card, mm -hmm. which seems kind of great. Mm -hmm. You d you don't cast it, so Dranith Magistrate doesn't stop this. Yeah, you just put it onto the battlefield. Yeah. I'm sorry. yeah, you just yeah. drop it on the battlefield here. Mm -hmm. So that seems really good. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I think the Mutate we're going to have to kind of play with to figure it out, you know, all the ins and outs of how the mechanic works. That's kind of why I left a bunch of these off of our review, unfortunately, because yeah. I just don't know how, the, I don't know how mutate's going to play. I can't wrap my head around it. Sure. If mutate's a thing, this sounds great. But if mutate's not a thing, it's a uh, doom whisperer. It's yeah. a doom whisperer that doesn't sort you cards or whatever. Yeah. So, Doom Whisper as the fail case is not right, the but worst it, thing ever. Like, it's not even as good as Doom Whisper, though, because, like, Doom Whisper has a relevant other ability. And yeah. if, like, Mutate's not a thing, or, you know, you want to pay 
six mana to mutate. I don't even know if you want to pay six mana to mutate, but like if you don't, this is just a vanilla six six flampler. Like it doesn't do anything else. It doesn't affect the yeah. battlefield. Yeah, if so, it didn't have the mutate ability, it wouldn't it wouldn't be good enough. Yeah, and I like I said, I don't know how good mutate is. Yeah. It's one of those things that you can't really read and say, oh yeah, that's good. Like I have no idea if it's good. Yeah. So the next one is Brokos. Apex Brokos. Of, yep. Apex of Forever. Mm-hmm. And it's uh make sure I get this right. I wanted to say it's the same thing. It's yes, it's yep. two black, green, blue mm-hmm. for a six six trample. Yep. And it has mutate for two green green hybrid blue black. Yep. It's mutate cost is basically the same as its casting cost, you know, five mm-hmm. mana wise. Right. Um the last one has, was six mana. So this is one six. less than the last one. Yeah. And this yep. has you may cast uh Brokos Apex of Forever from your graveyard using its mutate ability. So this I kind of looked at as going into uh, the same decks that would play Uro, where instead of them being Bant, mm-hmm. they would be Saltai. Well, I mean, ours was play- Saltai anyway. Yeah, ours was Saltai anyway. Yeah. Where you're playing Cavalier of Thorns, filling up your graveyard, and you just kind of flip over a... Brokos. A Brokos, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to turn my Mire Triton into a 6-6. Six, 6-6 six. Six, six Death Touch Trample. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have creatures sitting around and you just basically draw one of these out of your graveyard. Mm-hmm. Where if you're playing a creature-heavy deck, it's just like, oh, I get to bring this guy back and throw it on something. Yeah. You have to have something to put it on, but you have, but you just get to have it. Yeah. See, this one's kind of unique, though, because it doesn't give you like a, a mutate, mutate trigger. Yeah. It just lets you mutate out of your graveyard. And again, I don't know how good that is. I mean, it's great if you're playing things like Meyer Triton that don't really matter in the late game and you're just looking to upgrade them. Sure, this is a great way to upgrade your Meyer Triton or whatever. But like, you're not going to mutate your Kev Thorns into Brokos. No. You're not going to mutate your Uro into Brokos. Like, it just doesn't do anything except give it trample. Yeah, which, I mean, giving your Uro trample is fine that's not worth five mana yeah that's that's what i mean it's fine but it's not it's not really what you want to be doing with your mana at that point in the game yeah but i guess it's better than doing nothing with your mana sometimes yeah i really didn't find myself doing nothing with my mana though with that deck fair fair but uh now i picked these two in particular Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about the the ultimatums we've kind of touched on yeah because they're blue green Mm mm-hmm like five mana is the new three mana right for those decks yeah yeah or you know the the mutate ability that six mana that's the new you know that's the new four mana yeah right those decks ramp so hard you could see games where you go you know paradise druid into like uh uh grow spiral into turn four put alumina alumia alumina yeah alumina a Luna, uh, <laughs> yeah, onto your Paradise Druid, and yeah. then put a Nissa into play. Oh yeah, that's fantastic. And you're just like, and you can see now, or right. do you want to go through the rigmarole of yeah. thinking you could win this game? 
Yeah, and that was actually something the next card we're going to talk about is another mutate card, and that was kind of something I had in our notes about the next card, is that you know, those mutate cards want something really good, especially the more expensive ones. They want something really good to have been down already that you can easily mutate onto, something like Paradise Druid. I don't think a lot of these mutate cards, like, slot cleanly into a deck that currently exists. Like, we were just talking about Brokos, like, maybe wanting it in our uh, casual tryhard Sultai list. But I I don't know that it slots just cleanly in because there's not a ton of things that you want to mutate onto already. You want to you want to kind of add things in like Paradise Druid that have, you know, a relevant protective keyword that come down early and, you know, help you in the early game. And then once you mutate onto them, they're a house. And I don't know that there's a ton of those decks that exist right now. You kind of have to change the way you build them a little bit. Yeah. So that so, uh, that next card that I was referring to was actually one that one of our Patreons wanted us to talk about, and it's Parcel Beast. So Parcel Beast is two green-blue for a 2-4 uh, with Mutate. Mutate cost is a green and a blue, and it has an activate ability of one and tap it to look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, you may put it onto the battlefield. If you don't put the card onto the battlefield, you put it in your hand. It's like ramp sometimes. Kind of. Yeah. It also is going to upgrade anything on like turn three that you put mm-hmm. it on. Yeah. Again, like we were just talking about with like a Paradise Druid, this is the prime candidate to put on a Paradise Druid. Yeah. Where you're just like, all right, here's my 2 4 hexproof guy. You can never get through this. Right. And then randomly, like on their end step or whatever, you activate its ability. Like if shields are down, you activate the ability, you know, ramp yourself, draw a card, whatever. Yeah. So and it is another like reason to play like a million lands in your deck. Oh yeah, this which, definitely like if you're playing this and Grow Spiral and Uro, like you want to be running a 30 land deck or like 20 28 to 30 lands somewhere in there. Yeah. So I was just uh flipping through real quick and I was like what are the hexproof nerds that we currently have? Mm-hmm. And Barkhide Troll Oh, that's interesting. Where you play Barkhide Troll, then you put parcel play Parcel Beast, mm-hmm. you have mana up, and you have a three five, three, five pay one, remove a counter, give it hexproof guy. Hmm. Like that seems pretty decent in the early game. Yeah. Also randomly, a lot of these mutate things are elementals. Oh yeah. Got you Yeah. You get to play your uh your risen reefs, but when you mutate something, they don't trigger enter the battlefield abilities because they don't enter the 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 new. It's still the same object on the battlefield. It yes. like Voltrons, but yeah. it doesn't. So like if you have a risen reef and you put a parcel beast on it, right? You've not put an elemental onto the battlefield, correct? So you don't get to look at your top card, right? Which just goes against like everything, everything. elemental wants to do. And everything you've ever been taught about magic. I put card from hand <laughs> yeah. onto the battlefield. So I get my enters the battlefield? No. No. <laughs> Sweet. So yeah, Parcel Beast is like, you know, a reasonable mana sink. What was the that druid? It was like one and a green for a one three and you tapped it, and if it in your top card was a land, you have to put it in your hand. Uh oh, what was I don't it? Remember. Uh I have it in my uh, arena sealed. But this is something similar where you have to pay mana, but you get to put it on the battlefield if it's a land. Yeah. Next up 
is a card that's going to go into a deck that is, I don't think, good, but it could get good. Well, it's kind of the same deck we were talking about earlier with Ninjoctopus and uh, Keep Safe. Yeah. And this is Skycat Sovereign. Mm-hmm. So it's blue-white for a 1-1 flyer, mm-hmm. Elemental Cat. And it gets plus one, plus one for each other creature you control with flying. So it gets really tall. Yeah. And has an activated ability of two white blue, create a one, one white cat bird creature token with flying. So it makes itself tall. It makes itself tall and then makes a bunch of uh, one ones. Yeah. Like if the blue white flyers deck can be a thing, mm-hmm. like this slots into like where Hushbringer is currently sitting in that deck. Yeah. Where like Hushbringer is like, whatever like sometimes it, it you know hoses them and sometimes they play a turn three uro when you have a hushbringer out and they just get a three mana six six right and you lose like <laughs> but you know a curve of one drop flyer into this into empyrean eagle yeah where you're Seems attacking for like you know six mm-hmm. on turn on turn three yeah. Seems good. Like they have like no time to get their feet underneath them and then you're playing, you know, a cheap counter spell or you're playing uh keepsake. Ninja octopus. And, yeah, and you ninja octopus them the next turn, you're like yeah. they're like attack. You're like, okay. Ninja octopus. Yeah. Sigh. Okay. <laughs> you got me. Octopus got me again. Got me again. So this is another one that it could be a fifty cent rare, it could be like a three dollar rare. Yep. But it's just one that if, like, especially like on Arena, if you're someone who plays the blue-white Flyers deck, this card just slots right into that. Mm-hmm. The next set of cards is the Ultimatums. Yeah, I figured we'd just talk about these kind of all at once because there's been a lot of a lot of people making comparisons about them. Yeah. So I thought it'd be easier if we just talked about them kind of all at once and maybe put a ranking on them. Yeah, so first, like, these kind of feel like... They should be mythics, and they're not. They're all rares. Yeah, these are very powerful. I think the only thing that stops them from being mythics is the extremely prohibitive mana cost. Yeah, and so they represent each of the wedges, mm-hmm. and it's all it's double color, triple color, double color, mm-hmm. and like we just said, each wedge is kind of exemplified. Seated in a color. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, is most strongly associated with one color. Mm-hmm. So they kind of like rotate the, the triple color around. Mm-hmm. The first one is uh, Emergent Ultimatum, which is yep. the Saltai one. It's mm-hmm. black, black, green, 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 blue, blue yep. for a sorcery. And it's search your library for up to three monocolored cards with different names and exile them. An opponent chooses one of those cards and you shuffle that card into your library and you may cast the other cards without paying their mana costs. Then yep. you exile uh, Emergent Ultimatum. Yep. And I think when you had when we were comparing show notes or whatever, you had this one down as what you thought was the best one? I think just because you pay seven mana, and in standard you're going to get probably 12 mana worth of stuff mm-hmm. out of it. So I just feel like that's going to be a stronger... Uh, like just a stronger thing, like the fact that you get to search your deck for whatever monocolored thing you need, yeah, and then play it. And I know that 
your opponent gets to pick mm-hmm. one of them. But if you search for, I don't know, the the big seven mana mammoth that's a six six that fights something when it comes to the battlefield. Oh yeah, Thor was it Thorn Mammoth? Thorn Mammoth. And yeah. then you search for the the monkey in this set that's like a seven six that fights yeah. something when it comes to new play and one of the attacks that destroys an artifact or enchantment. Mm-hmm. And an agent of treachery. Oh yeah, that's gonna be a hard one. What do they give you? Yeah. Right. It's like, well, if you have creatures, you're gonna lose a creature. And you can get like Villas with this, right? Oh yeah, you can get Villas. Yeah. Right. So like there are just so many things that you're just like, none of these are good for you to give me. Mm-hmm. And you can just get whatever thing you need at that point in the game. You can be like, oh, I want like Anissa, an agent of treachery and fill in the blank mm-hmm. and well they can't give you the nissa because if you untap they lose the game right and they, they can't, can't give you the agent because you'll just take their best thing yeah and they can't give you what the other the other thing is because it deals with whatever issue you're having right now yeah so and again kind of like with the mutate mythics it's blue and green mm-hmm. like you're gonna be able to consistently cast this on turn five. Yeah. So I kind of think that this next one is the best one. Okay. I a hundred percent understand what you're saying. And I agree with you. Um, you're not necessarily going to get the same mana advantage. You are with emergent ultimatum where, you know, you pay seven man and you get 12 mana worth of stuff. But with eerie ultimatum, the Abzan one, it's a white, white, black, 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 green, green, uh, return any number of tar- or any number of permanent cards with different names from your graveyard to the battlefield. This one plays a lot grindier game, I think. Instead yeah. of you know winning the game all in one turn, you're gonna get a planeswalker, your fabled passage, a wicked wolf, you know whatever whatever you've already used that game. You just get to put back on the battlefield and do it all over again. And you don't give your opponent the choice. Like it's just yeah. gonna happen. And I think it, it's also important that this doesn't specify creatures. It's yeah. just permanence. So you, you get back. It kind of fills a similar role to, like, remember those old Seasons Past control decks? Yeah. They were just, like, black-green looping Seasons Past over and over again. Um, I think this kind of fills a similar role as Seasons Past did. I think that a more, like, reasonable, uh, like, cur- uh, more modern analogy is uh, command the dread horde oh yeah yeah yeah. Yep. it's it's limited to your graveyard but you're not gated by life you're just right. like hey and i've got realistically it's only one more mana than command the dread horde i think the the thing with this one is it does require like more setup mm-hmm. right like there there are times where you're gonna draw it on ter- you're just gonna be in your opening hand yeah and you're gonna be like all right i need to aggressively trade stuff mm-hmm. to make this do anything but if it does get to do something, it is really good. Like this could go into a deck that is the four color command deck mm-hmm. where, but instead of playing, you know, some of those same things, you're, you're on Cavalier of Thorns yeah. and Tamio, where you're just trying to turbo flip your deck over. And then you want to go Tamio down to get my eerie ultimatum mm-hmm. and then Next turn, like you have a counter speller, I'm gonna put you know 15 20 mana worth of stuff onto the battlefield, yeah. So that could be kind of where 
where this kind of fits as long as your mana works well enough that you can get it back because i think you need to be like kind of turbo flipping your deck over to really bust it yeah but like that's kind of what the abzan deck wants to do anyway though right with was it fiend hunter or whatever that other card was that we talked about like you kind of want to be putting stuff in your graveyard fiend artisan fiend artisan yeah like that's kind of what that deck wants to do anyway yeah and you have the tools from uh again the uh, from the Ravnica block with the Golgari yeah. creatures. And like this deck probably also wants to play Elspeth also. Yeah. Which is another like mill. Pe- yeah. You just get her back either with this or by escaping her. Yeah. Yeah. So there, I don't know, there it's are interesting. things you can do. Yeah. That's a but, deck that I think I want to play, mess around with a little bit, see if it's any good. Yeah. I think both of the first two, you can just get such an absurd mana advantage Yeah. off of them. Like that, it's just like almost not reasonable. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, wow, okay, oh, yeah. emergent ultimatum. It's mm-hmm. not permanent. It's three monocolored cards, so you could just like get command the dread herald, and oh. just yeah, put all the cards in your graveyard, <laughs> in the battlefield. Yeah. You could get like you know, cast twelve mana worth of stuff and put twenty two mana worth of stuff on the battlefield. Yeah, you could also get uh, like Bolas's Citadel, Ooh. and then pay seven life to cast another one of these off the top. Uh, if he did that to someone, <laughs> they would just they just have to scoop up all their cards and just be like, "I'm done here. I can never play Magic again." Yeah, this is awful. Oh, that that kind of does up. lead me to something else that I wanted to say about these ultimatums, and that's that at least for these first two, like the next two that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about in a little bit different context. But at least for these first two. There is like a finite amount of these that you want in your list. You don't want to play either of these as a four of. Like you don't want to ever look at your opening seven and see one of these in it. Because there's no way you're going to cast it on time. You, you of little faith. <laughs> like we're in a world where we've been casting hydroid crises for 12. Okay, so maybe emergent ultimatum. I, I don't want to see eerie ultimatum until yeah. like turn eight. Yeah, because Eerie Automatum is, you need more setup. You either need yeah. to have filled your graveyard or you needed to have the time to, like you said, trade resources yeah. and then just all of a sudden, like, catch back up. I know yeah. we skipped over the the Abzan, um, whatever it is, the the Mythic Mutate, mutate guy, yeah. but that one is when it comes in, when it mutates, you get to put 10 power worth of stuff oh, from yeah, your graveyard yeah. onto the battlefield. So Seems relevant. Again, same seems seems <laughs> Yeah. So these first two can give you a big mana advantage with some setup. The next one is also can give you a huge mana advantage, but it requires you're rolling the dice a little bit more. Yeah. And this is Genesis Ultimatum, mm-hmm. uh, which is green, green, blue, 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 red, red. This is the teamer one. This is the teamer one. Look at the top five cards of your library. Put any number of permanent cards from among them onto the battlefield and the rest into your hand, and then you exile it. Seems these. Seems these. So this is encouraging you to play a lot of permanents, first of all. Mm-hmm. So you're playing a creature heavy deck. This is, again, you're gonna lean on Brazen Borrower and Bone Crusher Giant. Yep. It'd be your cheap interaction that also lets you like hit them with Genesis Ultimatum. Mm-hmm. So it's always draw five. Yes. And, but then sometimes it's draw five, play three of them. Yes. Yeah. 
It lets you play lands, so it like also mm-hmm. ramps you. Yep. But I just feel like it requires a little more. It's a little more spin the wheel. Yeah, which is kind of why I lumped it in with the next one, Inspired okay. Ultimatum, is okay. the, the Just Guy one. It's a blue, blue, red, 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 white, white. Target player gains five life. Inspired Ultimatum deals five damage to any target, and then you draw five cards. Yes. It's kind of why I lumped these two together, because they do somewhat similar things, and I think that they both need to be tested out in a fire's shell. Yeah, they could be really good if you... That is yeah. like you get to seven mana with your fires and then you're just yeah. like all reload. Yeah, yeah, reload or put like two Cavaliers and a Kenrith on the battlefield from your Genesis ultimatum. Yeah, that draws you an inspired ultimatum that you cast for your second spell that turn. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the cartoon, the, the meme about inspired ultimatum. No. There was like a group of people putting their hands in. It was blue put in this oh, hand. Yeah, and it was yeah, like yeah, draw yeah. five cards and red put in this hand. It was like deal five damage and white put yeah. in this hand. It was like gain five life. Yeah. And everyone just <laughs> glared at white. Like yeah. this is the one that the first three we talked about, like it was kind of like a mush of what those colors did. Individually, right? yeah. Yeah, they were all was, things that each of those colors could have done. Could have done, or it was kind of like a combination of things. Yeah. This one was like uh, red deals damage, white gains life. Okay, cool. Like yeah. it, it seems like this is the least uh, inspired of the designs. <laughs> I see what you did there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But it just seems like, well, what does blue do? It draws cards. What does red do? It deals damage. What does white do? I guess it yeah. gains life. Okay, cool. So it just seems odd, like compared to all the other ones, it was like, oh, these are like kind of like a hybrid of what everything does. This one was just like check off the laundry list and be done. Mm-hmm. It seems like that one's probably the worst. I guess you can't complain too much about a seven mana draw five. No, I, I think the Mardu one's the worst, the one that we haven't talked about yet. But again, like I said, I think the reason that I lump both of these together is I think that like there is a reason to try out like a different fires list where you're more like the new explosive vegetation and fires. So you're like, you know, cast your fires second spell for that turn. The new explosive veg gets you to six mana land for turn. You know, your first spells inspired ultimatum, knock something off the board, draw five cards. Oh, you found your, uh, your Genesis ultimatum cast that fill up your battlefield, you know, Kenrith, Cavaliers, whatever. Yeah. Clown um, someone. Yes. Yeah, it, like that deck will just end a game. Yes. Like there, there's no like you taking two or three turns after you stick your fires to end a game. Like that will just end the game. Yeah, you're just like, yep, I did everything. Yeah. Um, so I think there is, you know, something there. I don't, I really haven't, I, we Thought were talking, you know, before we were putting this episode together, we had talked a little bit about how we're, both a little bit checked out right now. Um, this was kind of a really weird spoiler season for both of us because of, you know, what else is going on in the world right now and kind of how they rolled the spoilers out and, you know, a bunch of little things that added up to both of us being a little bit checked out. So I haven't really, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at what people are brewing up right now, but I'm also not oblivious to the fact that, you know, social media is covered and, you know, all of these decks people are working on. I really haven't seen anybody working on a new fires list. Yeah. So and I'm not saying it's not out there, but like that's where my mind went when I saw both of these cards. 
Yeah, and I mean, with fires, the fact that the mana is prohibitive is not a big deal because you yeah. don't care about mana cost. Yeah, you don't care at all. You're just like, all right, cool. So yeah. yeah, so okay, then you have the last one as the worst one, which is Ruinous Ultimatum. Yeah, it's a uh, red, red, white, 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 black, black. So it's the Mardu one. Uh, destroy all non-land permanents your opponent's control. Yeah. Which is good. Which is good. Like a one-sided wrath is always good. Yeah, I mean, it's Plague Wind, right? Yeah. And Plague Wind is like seven black. mana? Yes. Is Five it... black, black? Okay. Or is it seven black, black? It's something ridiculous. Yeah. And this is just, like, harder to cast Plague Wind. Yeah, I just... This seems like one that if you cast it, you win the game. It's seven... Plague Wind is uh, seven black, black. Yeah. And it's destroy all creatures you don't control. Okay. So this this is all permanence, but... All permanence. A lot of times that's going to be the same thing, though. It is. This one's probably, from what I've seen, seems like it has a home and commander. Oh, okay. Where, like, you just, Maybe. you know... But... Yeah, I think that like the first three are really strong, mm-hmm. and the last two require a little bit more work. Yeah, and if you're like a little turned off by the mana cost, cruel ultimatum, which was the which is the uh, Grixis version Grixis. of this from like a million years ago. Yeah, was played all the time. Like that yeah. was the format, mm-hmm. and. I feel like our mana is probably better. They had the vivid lands, but I feel like the mana in this standard is going to be great. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So even though these look like they have prohibitively difficult casting costs, mm-hmm. they don't. Right. Like you're going to hit your your land, your colors all the time. Mm-hmm. So next up we have the companions. Yep, we got uh, like four different different ones to talk about here. Yeah, the companions are all really de- how good they are is really determined by what their deck building uh, constraint is. Constraint is, and yeah. some of them don't have a deck building constraint really in certain formats. Yeah. So this first one, uh, Loris the de- uh, the the Dream Den of the dream den is one hybrid white black hybrid white black for a legendary creature nightmare cat and it's Mm -hmm. three two yep with lifelink it's to be your companion each permanent card in your starting deck has a converted mana cost of two or less Mm -hmm. and at first i was like well it's a little restrictive but in eternal formats it's not yeah really so if you're in modern or legacy and you're playing any black deck, mm-hmm. this is just a free roll mm-hmm. other than like the card that kind of like might punish you is like uh Gurmag angler or yeah. Liliana the veil. But yeah, all of your death shadow decks or, you know, if, Grixis Delver can get by without like it's two Gurmag Anglers because it always kind of has an eighth card in its opening hand. Mm-hmm. Like this card is really good there. I realize that being a green black depths player, there's not a card in that entire deck that costs more than two mana right. in the main deck. So this is just a always. free card. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you can uh, and you can cast one permanent spell. So you can like 
play your hex mage to kill a planeswalker, then play then this, get your hex mage back. Yeah. Or they've killed your your elvish reclaimer. Yeah, you, know, like, you get to okay, get that back. Get to get it back. Or they so, got rid of your Sylvan Safekeeper. Yeah. It's just kind of a free value engine in like eternal formats. Mm-hmm. Where if you can make maybe a few deck building constraints, this card is yeah. it's just free a free roll. So I'm gonna go a little bit off the rails here. Okay. And I'm gonna assume you haven't listened to uh Vince's video today. I have not. Okay. So Pleasant Kenobi was talking about how this card is just kind of absurd in Legacy and Vintage. Yes. Because you can crack an LED, cast get this, back. recast your LED, and it's just two free storm. Oh. And in Vintage, you can crack a Lotus, cast this, get your Lotus back. So this card is just... A free card all of the time. Yeah. Also, uh, one of the things that he mentioned was in Vintage, they don't ban cards. They restrict them. And you restrict this to one, and that's all you need. And, yeah, you just don't play it in your main deck and leave it in your sideboard, and the restriction did nothing. Because it's always the eighth card in your deck. They already banned Underworld Breach from Legacy. But could you imagine? Yeah. you You crack your LED... You bring this guy back, you get back your LED. Oh, man. And then the next turn, you play your Underworld Breach from the graveyard. Yeah. And you just go <laughs> off. Or yeah. you like on like turn two, you have two lands. You're like, LED, play this guy, get back my Underworld Breach, go off. Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. This card's absurd. This card yeah. works reasonably well in standard because the two or less permanents, two or less CMC for your permanents is a deck building constraint. Yeah. But in modern legacy and vintage, it is not. Right. Like like you, you said, know, really like in any black deck, the, what you lose is Gurmag Angler and Lily, both of which there may be other options for. Yeah. So yeah, this card is crazy. Yeah. The next card is more of a standard card. Yeah. And yeah. it's your boy, uh, the Karuga. Dino Hippo. Yeah. The Karuga, Dino the Macro Sage. Is a three hybrid blue green, hybrid blue green for a five four. Uh, companion constraint is your starting deck contains only cards with CMC three or greater and lands. So yes. you're going to be taking the first two turns off. But um, you're going to be playing Love, uh, Love Struck Beast, Brazen Borrower, and Bone Crusher Giant. Correct. So you're not really going to be taking the first two turns off. Nope. Um, when Karuga enters the battlefield, you draw a card for each other permanent you control with converted mana cost three or greater. So, Lovestruck Beast and Brazen Borrower and Bone Crusher Giant. <laughs> yeah, or all of the things that you're incentivized to play alongside of this, you get to draw a card for. Or if you're black, uh, Murderous Rider. Yep, Murderous Rider works too. So, you just. Basically, all the adventure creatures that you were going to play anyway mm-hmm. cost three mana. Yep. And this guy's just like, cool. He's begging to go on an adventure. Yeah, he just wants to come out of your he just wants to come out of your sideboard zone and draw you some cards for like going like bounce your thing, play my brazen borrower, play whatever the adventure side of Love Struck is beast mm-hmm. is Love Struck Beast, play this, draw two cards. Yep. Like that's that's the curve it wants you to have. 
mm-hmm. it wants you to to cast four spells with two cards and then replace those two cards. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So it's standard playable, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah, I don't think it's going to see play like in any of the Eternal formats. I mean, it's probably um, Commander playable, EDH yeah. playable. You know, it's a different blue-green adventure deck than the what's his name, uh, Edgewall Innkeeper. Oh yeah, uh, Lucky Clover deck. Well, yeah, because you can't play either of those cards. But it is, but it's a deck that could, you know, that still is going to use your adventure creatures to, uh, yeah. you know, a good value. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, this is another one that I didn't like. Look to try to say how figure out how to say its name. Gigantha. Gigantha. There I go. Yeah. Yeah. The Wellspring. Yep. So it's four green red hybrid yep. for a vanilla five five. Kind of. And its companion is no card in your starting deck has more than one of the same colored mana symbol or one of the same mana symbol in its casting cost. Yep. So it wants you to play a whole bunch of gold cards that don't have double colored pips. Or colorless things that don't have sure. mana symbols. So well, the reason of. I put the reason I put this on here was Ari Lax lost his mind okay. and just started tweeting all the modern decks this went into. Yeah. Is this good in Tron? You just always have a five five in your opening hand? Yeah, that's true. I mean it's Is just it, vanilla at that point, but yeah. Grixis Death Shadow, always have a five five in your opening hand. Okay. Like there's just I I didn't go I don't have all the whole list of these things memorized. I think it I think there aren't any things with double colors and humans. I don't know. Is that worth giving up a sideboard slot though? Like just for a vanilla five mana five five? I think like that is the trade off. And I think the problem is is we don't know how powerful it is to always have eight cards in to have eight cards in your opening hand. Right. Right. Like that is we're in. It's like, also something that's not easily like it's not easily measured. Yeah. It's like not. There, there's no way to quantify like where that eighth card is coming from over the course of a game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which right. is going to make it hard to evaluate. But I think it's something that in a lot of decks, if you like have 14 cyborg cards, you're sure of mm-hmm. your 15th cyborg card is just one of these. If you meet the deck building constraint. And like this guy seems to kind of fit in a lot of places. Like Lily makes it so he doesn't fit in Jund. Right. And I think Lily's too good to get rid of. But Uh, yeah, 100%. I would rather have Lily than this thing. Yeah. But, but like you're not, there's a lot of decks that you don't realize that you're just like, oh, there's no double colored things in this entire deck. Okay. Yeah. I guess this is just a free roll in my red green deck. Hmm. Yeah, I really hadn't thought of it that way. I was thinking more like the Nif to Light decks. Yeah. Where this is just, you know, all of your cards like have different mana symbols anyway. Mm-hmm. And this just lets you cast a Niv Mizzet for free. It does. Yeah, you just play this and then you get your Niv mana. Oh, I guess we forgot to yeah. say, you tap it and oh, you yeah. add Wooberg. Wooberg. Yeah. And this mana can only be spent, uh, can't be spent to pay generic uh mana costs so it can only be spent to pay for colored pips so it does just cast a niv mizzet for free Mm -hmm. but i mean think about standard like if there's a niv mizzet deck in standard which there probably can and should be oh yeah yeah this is a no-brainer right this just goes in that deck yeah 
Because, I mean, the Pioneer deck is just a standard deck, basically. It's there, are only a, there are only a few cards that aren't in standard that are in that deck. No, they're mm-hmm. big cards like Supreme right. Verdict, and this doesn't yeah. work if you have Supreme Verdict. Right. But, you know, it's not too far off from just having, just being able to, like, always have this. Yeah. And that's something that's also weird. Like, they were talking about this on Limited Resources, Right, so let's say you have this, or you have one of the ones we don't are talking about that are like kind of like you know just a big dragon, effectively, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, on turn six, if I have this deck building constraint, like do you just play like eighteen or nineteen lands in your limited deck, so like you always know you're going to hit your fifth mana for this guy? That you always know on turn five you're just going to slam your five five every single game. Yeah, that's something right? I hadn't really I hadn't really considered most of these for limited. Yeah, yeah that's interesting too. But, like, I mean, in standard, right? Like, if I told you every game you're going to have a 5-5 in your hand. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, okay. So this is going to be really uh, unusual to see kind of how this changes deck building and the way we think about things. Yeah. So the next guy is like a puddle of jelly? (laughs) Yeah, there was one more that I wanted to talk about. It's uh, Umori the Collector. Yes. Is a legendary ooze. So we finally get ooze tribal. There we go. Uh, it's a two hybrid black green, hybrid hybrid black green for a four five. It's companion deck building constraint is that each non land card in your starting deck shares a card type. So planeswalker, instant, sorcery, creature, artifact, mm-hmm. whatever. As this enters a battlefield, you choose a card type. And spells you cast of the chosen type cost one less to cast. I think that, again, just like our uh, Dino Hippo friend, yeah, this is really incentivizing you to play adventure creatures. Yeah, 100%. Right? You're like, oh, murderous rider creature also mm-hmm. has swift end stapled to it. Mm-hmm. Meets my deck building constraint. With how powerful planeswalkers are, it kind of sucks to not like be able to play planeswalkers if you're kind of going yeah. like more creature focused but again like how good is a four or five effect like four mana four or five that's always in your opening hand well i mean think about this in gruel with lead the stampede you know we were trying to brainstorm what yeah. a super creature heavy gruel list would look like we can't play lead the stampede oh yeah yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah that works um but no, like you are like you are limited, yeah. but like with how good creatures are, yeah. I don't know how big of a limitation it is. Right. You can play a deck that is green, black, green, black adventures, the mm-hmm. like old version. Mm-hmm. I think the the biggest, you know, it is a loss was was Vivian was kind of the only non creature was that was in that deck. Yeah. Right, you play a deck that is Edgewall Innkeeper, Lovestruck Beast, mm-hmm. Murderous Rider, Questing Beast. Beast, this guy, Rankle. Like, yeah, Rankle, you you got a stew going. Yeah, and like the turn afterwards, the you don't realize until you've played with it a few times how powerful the spells you cost of a chosen type cost one less. Yeah, that's way better than like a tapping card, tapping yeah. for one mana. Yeah, right, because. You know, on a given turn, that can be three mana. Right, or more. Yeah. You play this, and then your turn five is like, you play two Paradise Druids and a Questing Beast? 
Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> I guess I win. Yeah. Probably. So yeah, this one in eternal formats is probably not gonna fly, though this just is your companion. Oh no, because humans has Aether Vial. Right. But it's close. It, yeah. It is right, close. So so there are there might be a deck where this is just like a random free roll commander. Mm-hmm. Elves. Oh no, elves has lead. Dang it. We'll come up with something. Elves also get has back. collected company. Yes, get back to me. We'll come up with yeah. something. We'll, but we'll find something. Is, yeah, this is another one that is something that, especially in standard, I don't think it's going to be too hard to make an all-creature deck, especially with the fact that uh, all of our creatures have, like, fight, destroy an artifact, yeah. and a million other things stapled to them. Yeah, they all got a spell stapled to them somewhere. Yeah, so you get all that interaction mm-hmm. in your creature slot. Yep. So Just a couple cards left to go over here. Uh, all right. The next one is one of the strangest cards I've ever seen in my life. Yes, it's, the uh, art's cool. The art is super cool. It is the Ozolith. Ozolith? Sure. However you say that. It is a one-mana legendary artifact that says, whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters on the Ozolith. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if the Ozolith has counters on it, you may move all counters from the Ozolith to target creature. Hmm. Yeah. Weird. Very strange. So it's worth noting that this copies all counters on whatever creature it is. So if it has plus one, plus one counters, it'll take those when the creature dies. If it has keyword counters, like the new ones from this set, flying, death touch, whatever, it takes those. If you have a planeswalker that has turned into a creature, it will take loyalty counters. You're just trying to get all the value from Sarka and you can. (laughs) Well, like this card just reads so strangely that it kind of begs you to think of all the weird things you can do with it. Yeah. So it could work in older formats with the like hardened scales decks where you just Mm -hmm. make like a giant thing. Yeah. Super weird card. Yeah. That can only do super weird things. It is certainly a combo piece though. Like, if the yeah. deck doesn't currently exist, at some point in Magic's future, it will. So this is one of those cards that I am going to put a little pin in up on my wall that says, if this card is cheap, buy 100 copies of it. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. So with uh, Mothra, back at the beginning here, mm-hmm. like, when does this take the counter off, and when does Mothra check to see if it has flying? Like, that I don't know. I'm assuming that it doesn't work the way I want. Where it dies with flying and then it leaves the battlefield. This takes its counter, but it's already in the graveyard when it takes its counter. Well, I don't know. Are they both replacement effects? I think. Well, this one's not a replacement effect. It's not replacing where the card goes. It like puts the counter somewhere. It's weird. So whatever. So. Luminous Brood Moth is whenever a creature you control without flying dies, return it to the battlefield under its owner control. Owner's uh, control with a flying counter. These are both replacement effects. They are both when if. Okay, so can you order them? I have no idea. I don't know either. Judge! <laughs> yeah, someone smarter than us. Yeah, I'm I, not sure. I should have asked this before the, yeah. the show started. I, I assume it doesn't work the way I want because Twitter had not melted. Yeah, and they're also, like, both in the same set at the same time. Yeah, that would be a huge oversight, but 
I, I give you Sihili, Felidar Guardian, uh, <laughs> for huge oversights. So the card was weird, and I thought it was worth mentioning. It is super weird, and it f- does feel like it should break somehow. Yeah. It should now, just go away. One of the things that I had asked in our uh, group chat that I don't think anybody ever got back to me about was, does this do the weird, like, hangerback walker uh, walking ballista thing where when the creature dies, it looks at its last, because it dies as a state-based action, it looks at the last way it was represented on the battlefield and still has a counter on it. So if you, like, pull the last counter off of a walking ballista to shoot somebody, do you get the plus one, this plus would one get counter? It. Yeah, would this get the counter? I don't know. That one's weird. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I do know that if it, if your walking ballista died because you put minus one, minus one counters on it, you would get the plus one, plus one counters and the minus one, minus one counters. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> they never had a chance to blip. Yeah, they never had a chance to cancel each other out. Magic. Yeah, very weird. All right. The next set of lands here are kind of absurd. They really are. They're just everything. Yeah. So we're getting new cycling lands that aren't the other half of the cycling lands we got in Amonkhet. But they kind of are? But they kind of are. These are tri-lands. So there's one for each wedge that we talked about. Uh, Sultai, Abzan, Jeskai, Teemer, Mardu. They all have basic land types. So they're fetchable for when that matters. They all enter the battlefield tapped, and they all have cycling three. Yeah, a trip down memory lane. Mm -hmm. The tri-lands, the tapped cons tri-lands were standard playable. Mm -hmm. You played them in Abzan, you played them in Jeskai, they were just playable. Mm -hmm. These are infinitely better. Yeah, like Like, the old tapped lands might as well be obsolete right now. Yeah. Like, they might like, have, all have never been printed. These are strictly better in every way. Yeah. The fact that they're fetchable does not matter at this very instant, but we are going back to the place where fetch lands came from. We're so not getting sp- fetch lands in Zendikar. They might be coming somewhere to a commander product <laughs> or commander thing near you, because why do you put the basic land types on these? Like, yeah, do we really know. care that much for the castles? I. Well, I mean, maybe. I don't maybe know. You care that much for the castles? I don't know. But so the fact that these are Trilands makes all of your ultimatums, they go from like uncastable to yeah, trivial. Yeah, do that. Yeah. yeah, they're just totally trivial to cast now. Yeah. And because you have your cycling lands, mm-hmm. if you're playing blue green X, you play 28 to 30 lands. Mm-hmm. Because. Right, your growth spiral always wants you to have a land in your hand. Mm-hmm. Yep. You Uro always wants you to have a land in your hand. Yep. And then late in the game, when you draw this and you wish you drew gas, you just you pay three drew mana. gas instead. Yeah. Yeah, and like three mana is a big cost, right? But when your deck is thirty lands, it's like, not that big a cost. <laughs> yeah, you've got t- you've got ten mana on the battlefield. Right. And I guess all the forest ones also tap for two because of uh, Nissa. Oh, because they're forests. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, relevant. Yeah, and all are... of the black ones trigger dread presence. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen, man. It's just not. It's not going to happen. I know. I know you've been dreaming big for a while, but that's just not going to happen. 
No, these are sweet though. And the yeah. uh, the alternate art ones, have you seen those? They're really nice. Whew. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get play sets of all of them. They're all gorgeous. Like Dredge played like one or two of the red green cycling lands. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like you just play the teamer one. Yeah. Because you get access to blue to like occasionally cast like a stray narc amoeba. Yeah. Or you play like the Saltai one or something. Mm-hmm. Like you just get so much more like flexibility. Yeah. It's just a, it's just an upgrade. Yeah, they're just gonna have homes in like weird places. Mm-hmm. So like everywhere like a cycling land showed up before, like you know, in uh, in lands blue, they black. play the red green one sometimes. Yeah, might just play this. I was gonna say in uh, Inverter of Truth, mm-hmm. right? Like this could open up like. You know, one, some cyborg cards that you wouldn't have access to in blue-black. Yeah. Because you just get, like, green stapled onto your uh, onto your blue-black cycling land. Yeah. Yeah, these are going to show up all over the place in weird spots. hmm So, yeah, these are great. If you get these, get these and hold on to them, they are going to just see play yep. all over the place. One thing that we noticed with the last couple of collector packs is that it really drove down the price of foils. Yeah. So because these are going to be so playable, and if the price of foils is being driven down with collector packs, I would uh, I would try and pick up as many of these foils as you can, or the alternate art ones, which I think are gorgeous. Yeah, I think the alternate art ones are going to drive down the price of the like regular pack foils. Pack foils, yeah. Just because people are going to want that artwork in foil. Mm-hmm. So Could I be. mean, I mean, if you think about the um, the example we talked about a while back when I was looking at uh, Oxyvagonus, mm-hmm. the like full art foils were or extended art foils were like thirty five or forty, and the pack mm-hmm. foils were five five bucks. Yeah, it was like, oh, I guess I'll take a pack foil then. These ones are though different just because the alternate art is so good. Yeah. So, uh, just off mic, we had a <laughs> a. a, a, a a podcast meeting and we decided that we're super deep and uh, we got too excited for all the new cards and we should probably call this a show soon. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, We had a whole big segment planned about arena and the state of the game that was just announced and all of the changes that are coming, but that's going to lead to a really long show. So we're going to clip that out of this episode. We will talk about it next week alongside all of our like release weekend arena type stuff and we'll just do an arena only episode next week yeah we'll focus on we'll talk about you know the seals we'll talk about everything that was new with the new update and just make that all all of that because none of them none of you are driving to work right now so you don't have (laughs) five hours hours to to work on a podcast yeah so there, we know about the arena stuff. There are a lot of changes, and we too are excited for them. So we will get to yeah, them. Very excited. With that, I think we covered all the cards that look super cool. Mm-hmm. And all the ones I thought were cool. Yeah. There and, was uh, another. Isn't there another like green black legendary guy that's super cool that I didn't talk about? I don't remember. I think there is. I keep he putting bounty the counters on, on me. And I just. Oh, yeah, the one three, and if something dies at the bounty counter, it deals three damage. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So we we narrowed it down to the million cards we talked about. 
Yeah. <laughs> so if you're interested in the arena stuff, check in next week. If yep. you want our opinions early, you can tweet at us at Casual Tripod. Yep. You can hit us up on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. If you want to shoot us an email, it's show at casualtryhardmtg.com. Make sure you tune into our social media over the next couple days, and we'll uh, we'll let you know if we get something up on stream or if we get some content recorded for YouTube or something like that. Uh, we're going to try and do something these next couple days, so make sure you stay tuned for that. I want to take a quick second and thank Juan again for all his super hard work producing this episode. And thank Myrtle Beach Games for sponsoring this episode, I guess. Again, like I said in the beginning, if you guys don't have a local game store to support, feel free to support ours. They have a growing singles inventory online. Should have just about anything you need at this point. I think he's up through doing it alphabetically. Sets beginning with R, I believe he's up to. So a good chunk of the way through. So check that out. Everybody stay healthy. Yes, stay healthy. Stay inside. Uh, You have a good reason on Thursday to stay inside. You can just Good play all the arena you want. All weekend. Well, I mean, other than like death, but yeah, well, there's sure. arena. <laughs> there's there's new stuff on arena. You can stay inside all weekend. Yep. So uh, with that, I think we'll catch you on the interwebs. We will catch you on the interwebs. <laughs>